The Holy Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common person used to steal what was put into it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. We're going back to the words from Isaiah this morning. Isaiah who proclaimed, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing, says the Lord. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. In the words of Amanda, uh, and I will not even try to say her last name, thank Bankhuizen, that's it, Amanda Bankhuizen. When it feels like the world is crashing down around us, when our minds are too jaded and our spirits are too discouraged to see how God might be present in this current darkness, then this is God's word to us. When the dull thrum of life's rhythms feels especially meaningless and tortured, it is in this place of helplessness and disorientation that hope emerges. The way of life with God is always forward. Last week I met with the adult forum and we went over this text together and there were a lot of words of wisdom. Um, Linda Schrader and Holly Carmichael told me that they and Ingrid Bergman, I mean Ingrid Kaufman, <laughs> Well, maybe Ingrid, the spirit of Ingrid Kaufman, um, have really been able to give each other a lot of some mutual support and wisdom over the last year or so since their spouses died. And um, they said, you know, there's no going back. We can't go back to what we had. We can only go forward. And they said, we've received so much love from so many people. And there is growth, you know, bit by bit. We move from surviving to thriving. Resilience is bouncing back to what was before, but growth is more profound. Growth means emerging from trauma 
changed, transformed. Do not remember the former things, God said, or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah is reminding his people and us that God's faithfulness in the, in the past, that he, God was faithful in the past, that God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites so they could escape Pharaoh and slavery. God parted the sea and allowed the Israelites to, to pass over on dry ground, and then the waters, we are told, closed in over Pharaoh's army, and they perished, and the Israelites were free. It's a story that forms the very bedrock of Jewish identity. This exodus, this 40 years of journeying in the wilderness with nothing to rely on but the Lord, and God's faithfulness to them in providing water and food and making a way when there was no way. That's the life of faith. It's a life of trust based on God's faithfulness in the past, in our past, in the lives of the people who have gone before us, and then hope for the future. Faith and belief Linda Schrader said, our head trips, trust is a soul trip. That's wise. We look back at what God has done, knowing and trusting that this is what God is going to continue to do. So I invited John Livingston this morning, and he has very graciously agreed to share a story from his own life, which for me resonated deeply with God's faithfulness in the past, and that's God that we can trust moving forward. Good morning. I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, I thank Pastor for giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit about my story. This Too Shall Pass was uh, probably my mom's favorite hymn and uh, favorite verse. And it became pretty much the motto of my life um, back then and, and even now today. When I talk about my mom, when I refer to my mother, I actually refer to my great-grandmother uh, who raised me for most of my upbringing. This was because I was born to, uh, in a drug family. Uh, my father, my biological father, was my mother's drug dealer, and that's how they met. Uh, and they got together and they had me, and then around 11 months later they had my brother. And uh, circumstances conspired and the government took us away from them, which is probably a good thing, uh, but we were put into the foster care system. Mother, she uh, continued to, to dive deeper into drugs, unfortunately, and uh, she disappeared. Um, and uh, my father, he was an illegal immigrant from Mexico, uh, so he got sent back to Mexico, uh, went to prison back there and also disappeared. Um, while my brother and I bounced around the foster care system for a couple of years, um, these were not good times. Um, we both were abused in, this, in, the, in the foster home, and uh, it just was not a good situation. And eventually, the, they were going to send my brother and I to different uh, states, actually. They were going to send me to somewhere in Idaho to live with a family, and uh, my brother was going to go to California somewhere. And I was about two or three at this time. 
um, and we, when uh, uh, maybe closer to four. And our great-grandparents, who were nearing their late 70s, saw this situation and, and uh, said they, did, they didn't want to separate us. They wanted to keep, keep us together. They knew that my brother and I, with our, the beginning of our life and how it went and, and already kind of the, the struggles we had been going through, that we needed to stick together, that it was going to be us against the world. Um, and that separating us was not going to be a good thing. So they made the sacrifices. You know, they're nearly 80, and they decide to raise two young boys. <laughs> um, which is a sacrifice. Um, and so they lived on a farm, and this is in Oregon, uh, near Portland. And uh, so it's on the farm that they take me and my brother, and we learn discipline, and we learn work ethic, working with the animals. They had a little livestock farm. Uh, but we also learned a few other things, because the farm was right across the street uh, from a church, uh, a Baptist church. And they had been going there for for decades. And when my brother and I make, came into the family, they just started taking us to church. And so from four, five, six, I got into the church, which to this day, I've, over the years, I've had my own, my own struggles and my own issues and philosophical questionings. But I do know that if I had not been taken away from the drug family and raised by my grandparents in the church. Life would be, very, would be very different. Who knows if I'd even be alive um, today, honestly. Um, uh, so it is in the church across the street that I play music for the first time in public. Uh, when I was about 10, um, dad passed away. Uh, great-grandfather passed away. He was mid-80s. Uh, and mom had, had thought that music lessons are good for kids. Um, good for the brain, good to keep us busy. She loved hymns. She kind of was, a, she had an ulterior motive because she wanted us to one day play hymns for her in, in the house. Uh, so she put us in lessons and I really took to it from right away. My first lesson, I knew I wanted to do piano the rest of my life. Uh, my brother took maybe two lessons and said, man, I don't, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> What's funny is uh, while he quit lessons and I continued on, uh, I would be practicing, you know, do my half hour of piano practice, play through, play through my little pieces, and I'd get up and I'd walk away, and I'd be, you know, fixing a sandwich in the kitchen, and I'd hear the songs that I had been practicing coming from the other room, the living room with the piano, and he had sat down and just by ear had played. So I always thought if he had stuck to it, he probably would be better than me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I eventually, I, I got good enough on the piano, I went to my church, I always loved the, 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 the pianist had been there for, for a long time as well. Um, and she allowed me to play special music one Sunday. And I did that a few times. And that led to them giving me an evening service, which I was really excited about. Oh, I got to play the evening service. Uh, and then after a couple of years, I got a morning service, um, which was really great. So it was from there then I started to kind of branch out and freelance and sub at different churches. and. Uh, so I ended up playing for Baptist church, churches, pre Presbyterian churches, Episcopal churches, all kinds of Catholic churches, um, just because I, because I loved it, and that kind of was, was my start. Um, but throughout this, I had developed a certain anger, a certain uh, unhappiness with how my life had started. I always was curious about my, my biological parents. 
I had kind of written off ever knowing my dad. He got sent to Mexico. He's going to disappear. I'm never going to find him. My parents weren't very forthcoming about where my biological mother went. They knew, but they, but they didn't want to tell me. Um, and so through those rebellious teenage years that we all went through, um, it, it kind of showed up through depression and, and anger and a couple of suicide attempts. And uh, really the turning point for me was in my life was, and I'd been in the church this whole time, um, and a lot of this showed up as anger at God, uh, which, which you see a lot. Why would God allow such things to happen, right, if he, if he cares about us? And the turning point came for me later when I was able to forgive and let go and, and, and understand that, that this is all, this is all, part, of, all part of life. And, and the reason that we fall is to learn to pick ourselves back up. Um, and who would we be if life was just easy? Um, and so when I turned 18, I tracked down my mother. I found her. Uh, years of drug use had taken her mind away. She was, she was gone. She walked around with a plastic doll that she talked to and uh, referred to as her daughter and hardly recognized me at first. Um, but it was, it was sad and it was tragic, but I needed that closure to see her for the for really for the first time in my life and see her and, and, and get that. Um, for, with my dad, I just assumed that just I needed to let that go. But I don't know if you've heard of this uh, 23andMe DNA ancestry tests that they can do to determine your background. Uh, I did one uh, a couple years ago just to figure out my, my heritage, you know, and it came back. I was a certain amount Scottish, a certain amount percentage Mexican, and all these little things. Um, but what these, uh, what these companies also do is they put your information into a database. And if someone in your family also joins the program and gives them their DNA for testing, they can link you together and say, oh, this, this person shares some of your DNA. And so I'm on the, on the app and I get a notification and it says, this person might be a relative of yours. And his name is Daniel Ochoa, which sounds like a Mexican name. Um, and so I, I, I'm a little hesitant, but I reach out to him, tell him my story. He says, I don't know, this, this, that sounds kind of familiar. Let me talk to my mom. So he goes and he talks to his mom, and she comes back and says, oh, yeah, that sounds like my brother. That's my brother, Martin. And uh, they give me his contact information, and I reach out to him, and it was, it was my dad. It was my dad. And, and he was beyond ecstatic. Um, he had... He had also thought that he would never see his sons or talk to his sons ever again. He thought he ruined it, um, the, the, the chance, and, and with talking with him, he was very penitent and very sorry, and I come to learn that when he got out of Mexican prison, he cleaned his life up. He, uh, he found the church and quit drugs. He married, has a couple of boys couple of other boys so my brother and I have a couple of half-brothers in Mexico right now and uh, and so over the last couple of years we've been really starting to talk and get to know one another and 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 conversing on the phone and it's it's been really beautiful to, to this this side of my life this part of my life and my family and my history and my culture that I had just written off and and here here we're now starting to to, to get into it um, so this was all evidence for me, uh, and you know, life's a process, I'm still young. Um, it's, it's, 
there are still tough times, but I can't help looking back on all of it thinking, even in those times that I was angry at God and put me in this situation, you know, he was, he was looking out for me. He, was, he had my back. Thank you. We glance at the past, but we don't stare, someone said last week. We remind ourselves of all that God has done, and then we follow God into the future with fresh hope, anticipating the joy and the goodness that God has in store for us there. As the psalmist proclaimed, those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Amen. I invite you now to join me in the hymn, Canticle of the Turning 723. 